0: Welcome, I'm Kevin Miller, and this podcast is called Self-Helpful because not all self-help is helpful. I'm your curator, critic, and translator of the best and brightest minds in the self-help world today. The authentic you and how to discover it for the first time. Being authentic is a huge buzzword in our culture today. We want authenticity from others. We actually demand it and we want to claim our own authenticity. Yet you're about to be schooled in a stark yet hopeful reality. And it starts with understanding and accepting that nobody comes into adulthood being authentically who they are and discovering your true authenticity is a big undertaking the hope in this is in realizing that most of your personal struggles in your relationship with yourself with others even the world can only get better from this point as you start stepping more fully into your authentic self two big points you're about to hear you come into this world with an already installed operating system it's based on your genetics further programmed and hardwired in during your upbringing so you leave home with a solid os You don't wake up on your own one day in your first apartment or dorm room or wherever it may be, and you're just free and authentic. That's realization number one. Next, two, from the moment you come into this world, your natural desire is to attach to others. And this is far more important than being the authentic you to the point you never really experience the authentic you right now, whether you're a Navy SEAL, an executive, a stay at home parent, a student, you have spent your entire life with the priority of belonging and being attached to others far superseding being who you really are. And it's diminished your entire life. My guest expert and guide on the subject is Vienna Farron. Her new book is called the origins of you, how breaking family patterns can liberate the way we live and love. And I don't want anybody getting caught up in that breaking family patterns and thinking, oh, no, I got to go just diss my upbringing. You know, it was pretty great. All in all, we really hit on that because that's how I feel as well. And yet no parents are perfect. No caregivers are perfect. There's no way that they can have raised you perfectly. And as you'll hear in this, we start talking about ourselves as well. Me as a father of nine, I'm owning and accepting what I have and haven't given to my own kids. Vienna has been posting her insights driven from thousands of patient encounters on Instagram. She has nearly 700,000 followers tuning in to find their authentic selves. Uh, Vienna Farren, she's a licensed marriage and family therapist, one of New York City's most sought after relationship therapists. She's practiced therapy for over 15 years and is founder and owner of the group practice Mindful Marriage and Family Therapy. Vienna has been featured in The Economist, Netflix, Vice, and Motherly, and has led workshops for Peloton and Netflix, amongst others. The Origins of You is her first book and uh, is endorsed by renowned therapists such as Nedra Glover-Tawab and Whitney Goodman, who I've had on the show as well. And as of this recording, The Origins of You is at the top of the charts in Amazon friends thanks for tuning in the self-helpful podcast was founded through the zig ziggler corporation and if you are a coach or consultant and want to add credibility and clients and impact your business go visit zigler.com today this podcast exists to help you find and understand the guidance and counsel that will help you elevate your personal experience of life and the way you show up for others Following these sponsors who help make the show possible and provide great resources for your life. I bring you therapist Vienna Farron uh, and the message from her book, The Origins of You and a profound look at the authentic you you want to become. You can find Vienna at ViennaFaron.com. Let me spell that for you, though. V-I-E-N-N-A-P-H-A-R-A-O-N.com. Vienna, I, you know, as I talked about, I, when I saw that Nedra Tawab and Whitney Goodman were recommending your book, you had my interest and, you know, the origins of you. And right away when I got into it, what really came up was, I think we've all, we all know that we're influenced by our upbringing. That's not (laughs) new news, but the gravity that you have given to it even went beyond, I've been saying a lot of times, no, that's, that's our programming. Mm -hmm. And what I, and in reading just right away at the beginning of the book, I felt like, no, you're, you're really showcasing. No, this is your operating system. And it kind of gave me a different perspective. And I found myself talking to my kids even about it. going, Guys, Mm -hmm. I, for better or worse, you, you have my operating system, you know, myself and your mom, and that's it. we got ours from here. That's what you got. And Mm -hmm. we're minimizing it. And, I think that's what gravity is—the kind of word that, that came to me—that you have increased the gravity of saying, "No, guys, this this is it. This is the big deal. You don't just wake up and go to something different and forget about this stuff. It mm-hmm. is who you are." And I think that's pretty weighty. I think for most mm-hmm. people to conceptualize and to actually accept.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it is challenging. It was hard for me, you know, for a really long time. I ignored it and uh, found ways to distract myself from it. Uh, Quick little blurb about my story uh, is that my parents went through a nine year divorce process, separation, divorce process that started when I was in first grade and there was so much during that time and for all the years after of intense conflict uh, psychological abuse manip- manipulation gaslighting paranoia emotional flooding just all of it and there it was very uncomfortable and very traumatizing and um very hard. And for decades, I sat with my parents divorced and affect me. They're good friends now, which was true. That was accurate. At a certain point, they would travel to my lacrosse games in college together, they'd come to my recitals, we'd have holidays together. Um, And so it was much more palatable for me to say that everything was fine. And I was a totally... Uh, normal, healthy child, and it didn't have any type of effect on me. And I, I kept that narrative with me th- even into the beginning of graduate school. And I get a, a real kick out of it now. I'm like, oh my gosh, my professors and advisors, supervisors must have just been like, oh, sweet girl,
0: you've
1: know? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> trying to get into the field of marriage and family therapy, and you don't think that your past had any impact on you, and. I understood that later. It was it was really overwhelming. To be with pain was overwhelming and to understand a little bit more about my story while my parents were in the chaos, the role that I took on as an only child in a system that was, you know, crashing and burning around me was to become the okay one. I'm fine. I'm unaffected. I'm unbothered. I'm all good over here. My thought process at the time was you guys are so unwell that there's no room for me to not be okay. And I had maintained that role for a really long time. And so this idea of coming into contact with me actually, not being okay with me actually being affected was so new, right? And so just to your point, there's a lot of things that get in the way of us being able to really being in contact with the pain and the experiences and the story high level where you started was we all know of course that our yeah. childhood plays like some kind of role but then we just kind of move on and we're like that nah, nah, and nah, i don't want to that was so that, long ago that was decades ago that's what
0: and that's what got to me as i was reading your book and thinking about this that what is it about us that I, to me, I'm going to use the word ignorance, which I like that word. It mm-hmm. doesn't mean dumb, it's just lacking right. knowledge that we grow up. You know, at some point we kind of get to the point generally of going, mm-hmm. okay, I'm ready to go. Uh, and mm-hmm. we take off and all of a sudden we're in college or a job mm-hmm. or whatever. And we wake up and we're in our own place. We are our own person. We want to mm-hmm. think that we're our own person. And now we can just do what we want to. It's kind of a clean slate and realizing, holy smokes. It reminds me of the old, I thought of in, in reading the book, the old school i know this is sexist and terrible but finishing school for girls you know kind of thing i'm mm-hmm. thinking and we need one of those for all of us that we get out of mm-hmm. high school let's say and somebody like a you like a therapist goes okay mm-hmm. what do we got here Let's figure this out yeah. and unpack this, and see what we're starting with. Because you got a whole operating system. Let's get you fully aware of that, and figure out what we need to, you know, break you of, reprogram you of. What was great mm-hmm. that you can leverage and expound mm-hmm. on as well. Mm-hmm. But that's what gave me the. It, it got me feeling like with my own kids. I want to go, guys. We need to have a family meeting. You mm-hmm. guys have been brainwashed. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, well, but it, it does it? I mean, I feel like that's a big word, but it really feels like that. for you to be really clear and clean and figure out as best you can figure out who you are. You almost mm-hmm. need a, I don't know, what would you say? A, a, a reboot? Or I almost felt like a a brainwash, figure out who and what you yeah. want to be.
1: Well, that's right. I mean, I think there the space, the freedom to actually have your own thoughts and opinions and feelings, you know, it's like our family systems are the first place where we get an education on just about everything. And we're told what to think and what to do and what to believe. And for many people, that programming and conditioning just Comes along with us. There, there's never a point where we're like, "Wait a second, do I actually believe that, or what? What do I actually think about this?" Because we grow up in environments and systems where things are explicitly stated or implicitly um, implied, right? And we receive it as truth as anyone does when you're a kiddo, right? Of course we do. And so, yeah, this idea of, okay, when do I get to question because not everything that was given to me is wrong, bad, misaligned, whatever you want to call it, right? Much of it is probably lovely and wonderful and supportive. And then there are also things that are misaligned and keep us stuck in the unwanted patterns that we have in our adult lives. I think unwanted patterns that we can't shake today as adults is a really big indicator. I say the unwanted patterns in our lives today that we can't just change. If you can change it, great. You want to imply a behavioral shift and you're able to do that. Amazing. But if you keep coming back into an unwanted pattern, right, that is tied to your resolution in your past.
0: That is what really brought me to finally not just say, "Man, everything was great." I have no reason yeah. to have anything negative. I had a very relative, and we'll talk. I want to talk about this in a second, but it relatively, you know, untraumatic, small t, mm-hmm. uh, you know, childhood. Mm-hmm. It, it was. It seemed uh, pretty great, but. And I'm grateful that you said that a minute ago. It may have been a lovely, wonderful, supportive, you know, steaming home. But at the best, at the very best, it was dramatically limited. That's what gets me now. I mean, my kids Mm -hmm. are so limited by their influence, primarily by their mom and dad. And, you know, we, we used to have... Ages ago, many ages ago, you know, was it, we grew up in community in a village and takes mm-hmm. a village to raise somebody and you had aunts and uncles and extended family and friends. Mm-hmm. And we were all there kind of the big fat Greek wedding type idea, which, which I really like a, a lot of that. And now we're so isolated that my kids mm-hmm, experience yeah. is so limited. And even if right. I am doing my very best, I just can't expose them to everything. It, it gets me even, well, let's, let's start, the, let's stop there because yeah, then the, then the patterns that they
1: Mm-hmm. Embrace
0: and engage and continue, and if they're not aware of, especially those negative things, because there just has to be. There, yeah. there can't not. I can't be a perfect parent.
1: Exactly right. We exist in an imperfect system, and that's you know, we have so many ways in which we distract ourselves from people are afraid of opening up Pandora's box. And what will I find? Or will it be too much? Or will it be too overwhelming? Or maybe I have a relationship with my family now that I think is okay and good. And I worked really hard for that. And I don't want to go there and disrupt it. Or maybe I have a deceased parent. And if I find something and I can't have a conversation with them, and there can't be any type of reconciliation, I'm afraid about that. Or the narrative that we hear, you know, Often, you know, they did the best that they could with what they had, or, well, their parents were so much worse than they were to me. So like, obviously, they're on the right path. You know, it's like, we have all of these explanations and reasons and fears. And, you know, all of that can be valid and true. And it is a distraction away from honoring our pain. It's a distraction away from just being with what our experience is. And like you said, at the very minimum, even when we have phenomenal parents... There is an imperfect system that we are navigating. This work, The Origins of You, is not meant to throw parents under the bus. This isn't us going on a wild goose chase. This isn't us trying to point fingers or blame or stay in a victim position. This is about identifying and addressing what is true. Right? And honoring that so that we can move forward, so that we can have an inner peace, so that the life and the relationships that we say we want to have yeah. actually have an opportunity to shift. right? Because the past comes with us in the obvious ways many of us maybe know, but they it also comes with us in really subtle ways as well. And if we're not tending to the original pain and wounding, as I put it in my book, um, it's going to keep running the show.
0: I want to go right there. Uh, Go. It's it's actually, it's page 37 of your book, revealing, (laughs) revealing, uh, revealing the wound. So so talk about pain because uh, Vienna, I didn't, I just have ne- had never related to that word. If you told mm-hmm. me, asked me about trauma or pain, I'd go, "Gosh, man, it was just it was a I mm-hmm. I used to remember, I literally say, and this is going to date my age. Uh, it's, it was a beaver cleaver family, man. Everything was mm-hmm. everything was kind of good, and <sighs> I won't name names, but I've had people in my life who have had pretty significant, acute, blatant mm-hmm. trauma, and I've since then come to feel like sometimes I wonder if what you just talked about, the subtle mm-hmm. trauma, is even worse because we tend to discount it but I did want to ask you about that those two words trauma and pain so a lot mm-hmm. of people like myself are just they don't tune into those words and I would right. say I would skew it worse on the man side on men's mm-hmm. side of not uh not coming to those words so I started working through that in after page 37 in your book okay what are some other mm-hmm. ways that I might feel that word or, or resonate with that and I thought how about that moment of anger to think back as a mm-hmm. kid a moment of man I was Really anger, maybe angry. Maybe I lashed out. Frustration, something that felt really unfair. Mm-hmm. And and I'm I'm opening up some of my own Pandora's boxes. Some things that happened. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't all from my parents. It was from other people as well, which sure. you talk about too. Um, a moment of being scared, mm-hmm. uh, a significant fear. And got me thinking back about, I joke about it with my kids, but I was dramatically scared of the dark. I don't really know where that came from and I don't know really where it ended. It didn't continue. I don't sleep under the covers and I'm not scared to walk (laughs) out in the dark today, but it was terrifying. And so to think back that, so I wanted people to hear that, that when you say pain and trauma to think about, is that fair? Anger, frustration, Mm -hmm. unfairness, scared, fears, or something else that we should add there that, 'cause cause I hear you say, no, everybody that exists to everybody to some degree.
1: Yeah, I I would say that everyone has some type of origin wounding. And the reason why I use and yeah, trauma, pain, wounds. And the reason I use the word wound is because I think we when we hear that word, word, we think of the physical, everybody knows what a physical wound is, right? It's like, and especially when we're kids, right? We scrape our knee, somebody cleans it, they wash it out, they put a bandaid over it, over it, let it get some air underneath it, tell you that's the best way to heal it. Then we take the Band-Aid off, there's a scat. And then of course, inevitably as kids, we bang it up against the chair and the mm-hmm. scab falls off and it starts to bleed again. Okay, that visual representation is something that we all understand. That's the same thing with emotional and psychological wounds, right? Is that there is an original moment in which there is a, sure, the anger, the reactivity, everything that you're describing in the book, right? I would say these moments where we don't feel worthy where we don't feel good enough, where there's conditions for love. If I get straight A's, if I score the hat trick, if I am perfect, right, that's when I get love, connection, attention, validation, approval, peace, calm from the important people in my life. It's when we don't feel like we are a part of the family. We're the outsider. We don't fit in. We're the black sheep. It's when we don't feel important enough to the people who mean the most to us because they're prioritizing work over us or they're prioritizing conflict or they're prioritizing going on endless dates with new people because they're so focused on that, that they forget about what your experience is and what it is that you need. It's when we don't feel like we can trust because there's a betrayal or deceit or lies that are happening in our family, or when we just don't feel like our overall well being is being considered, honored, respected, or protected, right? And so it's like, these things can Yes, of course, happen in these big ways. We know that, you know, I think to your point, you have friends who have big stories and what you're describing, I don't know what page it is on in the book, but what I talk about wound comparison, right? Where it's like, okay, well, I, how dare I even complain about this little thing over here when my buddy over here was sexually abused when my other friend over here had you know a parent who abandoned them. you know it's like my stuff doesn't even compare to that and those are all things that are distractions away from honoring our own story when we do that right? when we do that we walk away from exactly what it is that we need to
0: It makes me think as you're saying that, that as I look and compare, maybe there's even room to say, man, I'm grateful that that didn't happen to me. That is really, really harsh and yet not to invalidate. And and in reading that section Mm -hmm. on wound, you also got me to thinking, and as I was thinking about my own childhood, some things where I look back and I mean, my parents are not faultless, but there are some things Mm -hmm. that I look at and go, you know, I don't know if there's anything that they really did do wrong Mm -hmm. in that instance. I, however, might've had an adverse mm-hmm. reaction based on whatever, something that a friend put in my head or, or, or some perspective that I got, or just, or I was just being a little butt, whatever it was. And I, yeah. but, but either way, I felt bad. So something happened. It was pretty benign. It could have been, everybody mm-hmm. would have looked and gone, what, but for some reason I took it bad. And mm-hmm. regardless of what I hear you're saying is regardless, a wound is a wound is a wound is a wound if it is a wound is
1: yeah that's it, if it a is, wound it is. is a wound is a wound and I think you know there's a story that I share in the prioritization chapter about a client who I call Andre and he talked about how he has a single mom who was working multiple jobs yeah. she worked doubles every day except for Sundays they would go to church together Sunday morning and then they'd have brunch together afterwards growing up and he loved and respected his mother so much it was you know he he wanted to protect her so much and he could he could really rationalize that her working these double shifts was her way of prioritizing him. He understood that, right. but it didn't. It didn't move him away from what the desire to be prioritized by her through time spent.
0: Gosh. Ne- this be- is a neglect i mean there's no way he could not to some degree degree have been a little more neglected because she was kicking butt to take care of him but still what you're saying it still yeah. exists okay yeah
1: yeah and that and that's the heart rate it's like to but to get to that place to say i wanted to be prioritized more yeah. through time spent period we don't have to throw mama under the bus we don't have to talk badly about her we can honor and respect and still love and also still say that you did not have the experience of feeling prioritized in the way that you wanted to Yeah. period. Right. And that's, you know, it it makes sense then as adults, right? He was deprioritizing his partner, you know, so understanding origin wounds can tie some of that together. But the point I think that we're on right now is we are so good at distracting ourselves away from the pain. So even if it's harder for us to identify what the wound is, I was just in my book club and I was talking about the path of how we cover or conceal our wounds. And some of it is where we have a hard time identifying what the actual wound is, but sometimes in the big story, right? In the like, I know exactly what my pain is. I know exactly what my wounds are. One of the ways that we conceal or hide from it is because we get lost talking about the facts, talking about the bigness of it, right? We're in the storytelling of our pain, which becomes a distraction away from actually connecting Mm. to our pain.
0: Goodness. Yeah. So there's a
1: number of ways in which we can kind of move away from actually acknowledging kind of getting like into the tender spots of what our actual pain is. And yeah. I know it's hard work and I know sometimes we get scared. I think especially the I was just talking to somebody on another show about the high achievers, like, no, 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 no trauma, no pain, like gotta keep going. This is, you know, this is the driver, this hey, is the motivating. Hey, nobody force. got
0: time for that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No,
1: that's gonna that's gonna make me lose my edge. I'm gonna, you know, lose track. I'm not gonna be able to move forward. And again, to identify what our fears are, what our our insecurities are about moving into this work is really and important.
0: I, and I wanna get into how we can seal because that's where I am going to, that's where I need to dig in um, Mm. on my own work. But I wanted to, I get the chance to talk to you about it first. I I do want to, I mean, we're 20 minutes in right now and the honest to God thing that really caught, hooked me in your book was just, and again, I think this is right at the beginning, but I, it it was the, it was the, you had me right there was the Mm. aspect of acceptance uh, attachment over authenticity Mm. to me it Mm. felt like oh my gosh this is the biggest ball of wax right here and i think what hit me vienna is just realizing that we can't not so so set up the premise you're saying Mm -hmm. as kids as as uh, in our upbringing we are going to pursue acceptance affirmation all the a's all the all mm-hmm. these things attachment is what we we're mm-hmm. going uh, to pursue that above our own authenticity and we really can't not that is just basic humanity but then when that becomes a habit which it kind of has to at that point mm-hmm. then we find ourselves at whatever age whether it's 10 or 20 or 30 mm-hmm. and we don't really know how to be authentic and that's honestly my story Vienna of realizing mm-hmm. i i embraced some aspects of performance and people pleasing, mm-hmm. and I don't. It's hard for me to bring up some great trauma, but I just found out, man. If I do that, I make people happy. I, you know, I get what mm-hmm. I want. If nothing else, maybe it was selfish to some degree, even. Right. But I embraced that to the point, and until I came to a point of burnout and mm-hmm. realized, oh my gosh, to be—I don't even know what authentic to myself mm-hmm. looks like. And I—that's I, a big question I want to ask you. But let's go back to that. Just your. Mm-hmm. Share that aspect of that reality yeah. of what you're saying is we all by proxy in our upbringing with that operating system, we are going to gravitate towards seeking attachment. And that is going to eclipse us being authentic. And from that, it feels like it's, it's pretty common that you're not even going to know what your authentic self mm-hmm. is, much less how to operate in it.
1: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think there's certainly circumstances where we we might have a family system where authenticity is welcomed and there isn't there doesn't need to be that trade. But I think that there are probably more environments in which, you know, I, I say these are our lifelines, authenticity and attachment when we're kiddos. And I, I, Dr. Gabor Mate talks about how if it is attachment that is threatened, authenticity right. has to be traded right and yeah. so this idea of like you know when we're tiny little humans in the world like to be myself to honor that means that I lose you or to be connected to you means that I have to lose myself ah oh, right and that happens far too often I wouldn't say that it happens to every single person but it happens far too often right to Believe that I need to exit who I am in order to stay connected to you because we need that as kids. That's our survival. Of course we do. Of course we choose attachment over authenticity. We want to be accepted. We want to be loved. We want to be safe. We want to be taken care of, right? Our, our, our need for survival exists there. And it is in that space, though, where I say in the book that we learn to, you know, self betray. It's where we learn to self abandon and it becomes the way of existing in the world. To your point, right? It's like you became a, you know, pleaser or a performer or a perfectionist. You know, it's like I became easygoing and needless.
0: I, I thought it was, I, th- I thought, and I'm struggling not to continue thinking. This is what I have to break. I mm-hmm. felt valiant in it, Vienna. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I felt that va- in, and, and just take, now I can take what I had a friend say that, dude, you just take whatever anybody dishes out and you just don't mm-hmm. react. You can just, you know, like, and I th- he kind of meant it as a compliment maybe, but I, <laughs> when I heard it, I thought, Oh, because mm-hmm. as I'm growing into this, you know, what's the authentic me? I, self-betrayal yeah. was, I thought that was being, that's what you do. You take care of stuff. Mm -hmm. You don't let yourself get in the way, uh, Mm -hmm. which may be good if you're in battle or something like that. But in intimate relationships, it didn't work. And I was at the cusp Mm -hmm. of realizing that.
1: Yeah. And, you know, we don't have to get deep into your story, but I know you were saying, I don't know that there's sort of this catalyst, this event in which I was required to do that. But it's, uh, what I want to offer here is that sometimes it's through experience in which this happens, but also sometimes it's through observation. You know, maybe you watched someone in your family system self betray in some way or exist in an inauthentic way. And that wow. became something that you wound up absorbing. Again, that might not be true for your story, mm-hmm. but but I think for any of the listeners who are like, well, but nothing, nobody ever forced me to do this or that. But yeah, but did you watch someone you loved live that
0: way? Well, and even even the culture, as you were talking about attachment, mm-hmm. Vienna, I started thinking about, and I don't want to piss off the wrong people that can actually kill me. But I, I literally started thinking about like military forces, guys, you know, and all, mm-hmm. all, the, all the manly stuff. And what mm-hmm. is their mantra? Man, it is it is the core above all else. It is the team above mm-hmm. all else. We don't. We don't think there's no emotions, mm-hmm. there's no family, there's almost no God, man. It is just, mm-hmm. I mean, and that desire for attachment that we applaud as a culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, so mm-hmm. who knows how much of that, a movie I saw or a TV mm-hmm. show or a group of, of people in that kind of, and I looked at that and thought, yeah. And I mm-hmm. grab onto that and all of a sudden, man, there's no place for mm-hmm. authenticity. You are Mm -mm. about attachment, you're about belonging, which as you talk about, is our core desire and how to belong and be authentic. Almost I think for a lot of people hearing this right now, they can feel like that's impossible. Does Mm -hmm. I mean you've got to you've got patients in front of you all the time that have Mm -hmm. got to feel like I have no I have no I had a therapist tell me I have no file for that. I have Mm. no file for that. Mm -hmm. Is that where you Mm -hmm. find a lot of our culture right now, even if they hear the message.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's so scary because of what the fear of loss is, right? What the threat is yeah. to us. Because when you grow up, again, internalizing, doesn't have to even mean that someone said it out loud to you or, you know, that you had some massive experience of it, but internalizing that I need to be this way, fill in the blank, whatever it is, right? In order to be safe, connected, close, validated, approved of, loved, accepted, whatever, right? The idea of now as adults stepping out and saying, okay, this is, but I actually disagree with you or, oh, this is actually how I'm feeling. You know, that, that was so hard for me to do. I was such a, you know, I, I shared this earlier my parents divorce, so chaotic. I'm this fly under the radar, have no needs, pretend to be unaffected, pretend to be fine all of the time, because that's the best way to move through this, this scenario. And that made me into a needless woman who similarly was, you know, kind of existing in the cool girl persona, which meant, again, I had no needs. I was unaffected by things. Yeah, whatever you want to do, that's totally fine by me. Don't worry about me over here. Right. And what happened with that meant that I was constantly boundaryless, right? I was constantly avoiding where the line was for me, where I had a preference, what was acceptable, what was respectful. I was in a relationship in mid-late twenties and the guy I was dating, I thought I was going to, I really saw a future with him. His ex came back into the picture and he was trying to decide whether or not to go back into a relationship with her or to stay in the relationship with me. And boom, there it was. Oh my gosh, of course, take all the time you need. This must be so hard for you. Oh. Da da All da, 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 right. Yeah. It's like, it's hard to, to say it out loud. Even now Where you are like, Ooh, that's a bit cringy. You know, it's a bit, it's a bit hard. And yet, of course I said that because I was so scared. To say I was affected, to say that I didn't like something, to say that this didn't feel respectful, because what that meant was, no, no, there's no room for that one. The other layer of it is that my I I alluded to this, uh, there was well, part of my worthiness wound generated from my dad when I was really easygoing, it, love, connection, help, support, all of that was really available to me. When I was difficult or I stepped out of line, quote unquote, AKA being a teenager, um, I then I would be punished through silent treatment. And so that would go on for days or weeks sometimes. And I really learned again, it was kind of restored there that had no needs don't step out, don't express yourself, right? Just be easygoing, pretend like things are fine, go along with what he says. That's how you get your attachment. And if you step out of that, then you lose connection. You know, you lose the relationship. Fast forward to what I was just saying about this partner at the time. I was like too threatening to say anything because the fear was, if I do, this will end. Yeah. I get to a point in it where i have this big aha moment of like wow i'm still in the role that i was in as a child going through that divorce and i wind up calling and saying hey you know i i feel disrespected i, I this is actually not okay i'm not okay with what's going on and i'm going to remove myself from the scenario my heart is beating out of my chest my palms are sweating you have to understand that for someone for decades who has never said i'm not okay that was a profound moment in my life to say, I'm not okay. I'm not good with what's going on here. And to take a stand for myself, right. To say like, no, no, there's a boundary that's being crossed. And you know, that, it, that was it. Like this was a huge catalyst for me where it was like, oh, it's okay to say this out loud. It's okay to be not okay to say things that are not fine when they're not fine. And it's speaking to the authenticity, right. Is to, be fully expressed in what is true and honest for you. And that's what what that moment was for me, was really stepping into the authentic expression of what I was actually feeling. And knowing that authenticity, there's a risk, right? I think sometimes we want to kind of package it in some way where, okay, as long as the outcome is what I want it to be. You know, the outcome was that the relationship right. ended. The outcome was I never spoke to him again. That was the end of it. That was it. Right. It's like I had to be okay with an out an unwanted outcome. I had to be okay with leading with my authenticity being more important than trying to control an outcome.
0: I, I want to ask about that, but I do real quick though. Mm-hmm. On the on your story of being, you know, okay with not being okay, and some of those corrections as you have, we use the term, you know, overcoming a lot. We have overcomers mm-hmm. groups, and we understand that. I always, I often struggle with that because the overcoming, I think, we tend to think of as eradicating. So, do you now say, okay, so now I'm aware of all this stuff, mm-hmm. and it just, I'm good. It, it all comes. It all comes easy now. It's natural. I've totally reprogrammed myself. Or is it more of, no, now that I'm aware, I, I still tend to react very similarly mm-hmm. naturally, but I can real quickly or almost automatically get to the point of self-correction. Is, mm-hmm. is that fair? Or do you feel like? Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, I would probably go more with the latter in that, yeah, with growth and healing and all these things, right? It's it, And in the quote unquote overcoming, it's a non-linear thing. I think once we set, when I talk about that story, I often talk, I don't know if you ever um, like cross-country skied, uh yeah. or not, but just sort of the idea, like when you're on fresh powder, yeah. it's oh, got to work hard, right? And you're getting that track going. When there's a track there already for you, yeah. a lot easier, right? Here's, yeah. this is familiar. I know how to do this. I don't have to work as hard. That moment in me saying, I'm not okay, this feels disrespectful, right? Actually having an expression of authenticity for myself at that time was me jumping off the tracks and jumping into fresh powder, right? And it was hard, but I set the track in motion, which meant it was a little bit easier as I continued on with it. Does it mean I never turn back? Absolutely not. Does it mean in all of this work that I'm like, I'm never activated and I'm never reactive and my old ways of being never present themselves? Of course not. They do. But to your point, we have a deeper awareness of it that um you maybe you've heard of the it's this pretty famous quote that's attributed to Victor Frank, uh, Frankl between, about between stimulus and response, there is a pause, right? And in that pause is sort of this gateway to our freedom. That pause starts to extend. And why I talk about the extension of that pause, the pause gets a little bit longer the more that we understand our family of origin. The pause gets a little bit lo- longer the more that we understand our origin wounding. The pause gets a little bit longer once we kind of connect to, oh, I see that the unresolved pain from my past is playing out in this way right so instead of just these automatic reactions activations behaviors right we actually get to hang out in that pause for a moment and and say okay is what i'm about to say or do an extension of let's just say authenticity or inauthenticity is it an extension of where like, peace or suffering within the context of my healing and expansion yeah. goals, right? It's, like, it's in that space where I get to bring my awareness, my self-reflection, and be at that point of going down the path that I know that's familiar or, or like, working a little bit harder, right, kind of challenging this piece and being able to lean towards what my goals are.
0: That. Okay. I want to give people a couple of resources right on that. Cause as you're talking about the Viktor Frankl quote and that yeah. middle point, uh, is you know that story that we that meaning we attribute to something, and uh, mm-hmm. a lot of folks probably heard it. But if they didn't, we had Kendra Hall on the show, and her book I think it was Change Your Story, Change Your Life talks about mm-hmm. that. Uh, and we just recently had Michael Hyatt on, and his is Mind Your Mindset. So if you want to go further mm-hmm. into what Vienna just talked about, uh, I mean, you, you talk about that in their book, in your book, but then they have a whole book about it to, sure, to go yeah. deeper on there. Okay, well, so you hit on I, I mean another bombshell of a topic to me then is defining authenticity. And then mm-hmm. I've struggled with this. I struggle with this. I, str- mm-hmm. I struggle with how people perceive that because, I mean, I've been studying this for a long time. I've got you on here. I mean, I, I think I get the concept. And yet, mm-hmm. as a culture, I feel like it also gets lost somewhat in the well, to, to paint the quick analogy, it's just the, I want to be just, can you just love me for who I am? Mm. Right. That, that kind of feeling people, can I, just, can I just, all this self-help stuff and all this, you know, behavior modification, can I just, can you just love me for who I am? And I'm thinking about my kids and, and my kid, I'm never not going to love my kid right now, though, the kid may be being a little, butt and I don't really like your behavior. And I kind of feel like mm-hmm. I don't even like who you're being right now. And I want to play with that a little bit because I feel like people, I, I, we get lost in what really is being authentic mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. there is a place for, well, I'll just ask you to play with that. There's a place for behavior modification that you go in. Cause if I'm just truly unfiltered, unfiltered, authentic could be like Tourette's syndrome. I mean, you do not want to hear every thought that comes out of my head in a conversation, in a relationship, because if it's unfiltered, a lot of times it could just be mean, it can be selfish. Mm -hmm. And there is that place like to do just what you talked about, to stop and go, okay, wait Mm -hmm. a minute, take a deep breath. You just heard something, something happened. You know, how are you going to react? And and yet there's people that feel like, well, gosh, if I have to perform, then that's not being authentic. Mm -hmm. Play with Mm -hmm. that because it feels like a tension that I don't feel a lot of us have a good grasp on how that really works to be authentic, but to also be sensitive to others.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. The first thing that comes to mind is, is the concept that love can be unconditional, but that relationships must have conditions in order for them to thrive.
0: Say that again. I mean, that right there is a big statement. Say that again.
1: Yeah. Love can be unconditional, but relationships must have conditions in order for them to thrive.
0: Goodness. Okay. That's a big statement.
1: And that's, to me, is the discerning line of what you're talking about, right? This idea of, yeah, of course, I I can love someone who I love. I will likely always love you. I mean, you you spoke to your child, right? The parent-child relationship, which I think is, you know, one where most people are like, yes, of course, unconditional love, unconditional love, right? But we can have unconditional love for other humans in our lives, too. It's just that we must have conditions to the relationship, right? Otherwise, people say... Take me as I am, or leave me with nothing, you know, or some like silly Yes,
0: exactly. You know,
1: that's it's such a I I I can't stand those quotes that I see sometimes circulating the internet that are just like, if you can't love me at my worst, then you don't deserve me at my best. And it's like, no, that's a way to avoid doing the work that you need to do. (laughs) You know, it's like that's a that's a distraction away, and it's I understand. I understand the premise i understand what people are saying it's like in my darkest right in in my my challenging parts um you know can you not just run the other direction i i I get that but it's just so much more nuanced i have a story for you um i in the beginning before i was engaged to my now husband um i was in a conflict with connor no clue what the conflict was about. I can't, couldn't tell you any details about it. Other than I could not stop proving my point. Huh. I could not stop the need to be right. And I was going, he's like, I got it. Yeah, yeah, I understand. I'm going again, doubling down. He's like, I got it. I understand what you're saying. Going again, tripling down. I just couldn't shut up. I just huh. kept going. I needed to be right. I had this out of body moment in it, where I like see myself behaving this way. And I'm like, like if that part could speak, it would have been like, please stop talking, like take it back, pull it back in, reel it in, you know, please quit. This is not, you know, an attractive way of existing in the world. Couldn't stop. And then eventually, finally it ends. And I remember feeling a lot of shame and embarrassment. And Connor actually, you know, (laughs) what struck me in it, was how grounded he was and how much I still felt loved by him. Hmm. Um, He was not into the behavior for sure, but I, I didn't, I I didn't feel him waver in terms of I, I love you and I care about you and I'm here and I'm not going anywhere. Those words weren't spoken, but I felt that. And I remember Thinking, okay, shame, embarrassment. And then if I'm being really honest, like, yeah, yikes, like, I don't, I wonder if this guy is going to want to stay with me. And certainly, if I keep behaving this way, this is not a great recipe, right? And so instead of staying in the shame and the embarrassment, though, I got very curious about, like, what does needing to be right improving my point serve and so this is kind of a two-part process of to our point about there needing to be conditions yeah. to relationships right it's like no that behavior does not get to just exist and persist. And I have to pretend as if that's not going to damage the quality of my relationship at some point, of course it will. And of course, then that's like, oh, no, that's outside of the conditions for us to have a thriving partnership. You can't just keep doing that. But instead of just like, okay, well then screw you or cut the cord and we're out of here. There was a curiosity. Okay. What does this behavior serve? Because spoiler alert, our behavior serves things, even when it's dysfunctional stuff. And what I was able to connect to, and I shared this already about my story, was that I grew up with manipulation, gaslighting in my family system, not directed at me, but I watched it. It was very crazy making for my mom. And from a really early age, I understood that unless I track things, unless I am quite literally right about the details, Mm -hmm. I am unsafe if I'm right, I'm safe. If I'm not right, I'm unsafe. Right. And that was, again, such a profound kind of aha, light bulb moment for me to be like, okay, makes a lot of sense why this part gets activated in a conflict. Like I said, had no clue what the conflict was about, but the need to be right and prove my point was my way of creating safety for myself. Now, okay, behavior makes a whole heck of a lot of sense when you understand my history, my family system and my origin stories. But fast forward, guess what, Vienna? You can't just behave that way in partnership with this person who is not manipulating you who is not gaslighting, who is not, you know, uh, creating any type of unsafe environment for you. And I had to shift from like this shift into the mature, wise adult experience. Right? is, you know, obviously it takes work and we earn it and all of that, but there is something about being able to reflect on, on the things that we do that are disconnectors, right? The things yes. that we do, right? How we contribute to whatever the relationships are, whether it's partnership, whether it's our own children, whether it's our own parents in this, you know, later chapter of life, whether it's our friends, our colleagues, strangers on the street, whatever it might be, right? To see the ways in which we are contributing to the the disconnection, the demise, the dysfunction, of the dynamic, I, and
0: <clears throat> I think I was looking at your Facebook, or I'm sorry, your Instagram feed, which I'll probably say this on in the intro, but you've got yeah. I don't know, seven hundred, eight hundred thousand people on there, something like that. And I also saw one. I've got uh, Terry Real on on mm-hmm. the feed because uh, he was on the show, and he. Uh, a couple of his posts today were about the wise adult, as opposed to—I mm-hmm. th- I think he says—the maladaptive child. Does that sound mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And yeah,
1: that sounds right. Okay, mm-hmm. that
0: I'm showing up as because as you're sitting there talking and telling the story, I'm thinking about—it's so easy to think about on the condition and I'm going to say your quote again love can be unconditional but relationships must have conditions in order to survive and I'm thinking of a little kid you know on the playground and somebody does something maybe it's not super nice and they hit and you come Mm -hmm. over and go okay Sally you know it's Mm -hmm. if you're doing a good job I guess you would validate hey I'm I'm sure what you know what what Barbara did was upsetting to you but (laughs) you just we can't hit we can't Mm -hmm. hit that's something Mm -hmm. and even if you are like you were talking even if you were being gaslighted or manipulated, whatever you still mm-hmm. don't, it's still not socially acceptable to hit, mm-hmm. but there's something in there where we still missed it be, or, or we tend to, because we'll tend to come over to the kid and just say, Hey, you just be nice. Just be mm-hmm. nice. Just curb it. Can it whatever, just right. be nice. And we're not, and is that where we go wrong? Cause we're not validating the kid's feelings or our own feelings, even though you can't do that behavior. So how do we mm-hmm. feel like that's what you're saying? How do we authentic to ourself and validate and, mm-hmm. And work within those feelings, and yet still realize that if we're going to be in a relationship, though, we don't just un—I was going to say unmodified, unfiltered.
1: But you know, but people are saying that this is my authentic self, except it's it's generated from their pain. <laughs> you know, that's that's so, not.
0: So it's my wait, so, that, so it's my this is my authentic wounded self, and you're saying no. Well, you can be authentic in your <laughs> what. In your-
1: well, because that quote, right, that we're circling yeah. around is like, if you loved me enough, mm-hmm. you would just right fill in the blank, you mm-hmm. wouldn't leave me. Be- well, if you loved me enough, my infidelity wouldn't push you away. If you loved me enough, me being emotionally abusive wouldn't be enough for you to, go- you know, right? Like, huh. the, and I know those are these are very significant examples, of course. And yet we know that people say those types of things, or, you know, uh, if you love me, you wouldn't leave me just because I will not face my addiction. If you love me, you will not do this because of that. Right. Like that is something that is often communicated, whether it's explicitly stated or whether it's implied by the other person. And again, to that quote that we keep coming back to, right. Where it's like, well, this is who I am. Well, Okay, maybe, (laughs) maybe, yes, this is who you are in this moment. But essentially, what you're saying is I'm not going to touch any of my irresolution. And because relationships ought to be unconditional right? because that would be the premise right is that not just love right the relationship ought to be unconditional i don't have to do anything about my irresolution and you need to love me anyway you need to choose me right. anyway you need to stay with me anyway hmm. and so love me anyway maybe sure i think we all love people who maybe are not going to face certain things or they're not going to change up something. I still love you. Okay. But here's how I'm going to navigate this relationship with you knowing that that's not something that you're going to shift or change. Okay. Right. But this idea that especially in intimate relationships, right? This, com- this idea that Nope, this is my authentic self right is again, it's, it's the blocker, you know, it's why relationships will keep ending, right? It's why, you know, people can't actually get closer to you, right? I think authenticity is on the other side of resolution.
0: Yeah. You've got me again, thinking about, yeah, we want to be, is that cry to be unfiltered? Makes me think there was a, a, a movie uh, it was a popular movie and, and they're on this planet and whatever the men think is it comes out audibly. Whatever they think comes out audibly. It's kind of, <laughs> you know, kind of funny, but it was an action adventure kind of thing. Um, and, and that'd be terrible. Like Again, I mean, the thoughts that, mm-hmm. and we can get into you know, a spiritual aspect or, or whatnot there. But I mean, we had some crazy thoughts that go on in our head, especially in our culture mm-hmm. where we see everything. And I'm aware that sometimes, man, some of the most vile thought will just kind of run through my head. And I, I had a guy mm-hmm. one time tell me, Mandy, you can't just crucify yourself for that. You're just, mm-hmm. it, hopefully you don't, don't mm-hmm. take action, you know, on that. But we don't want that to come through. And your statement of, uh, you got me thinking about being unresolved of the unresolved mm-hmm. things. And, I'm, and when I'm acting out of that, that's not that's not, maybe it's authentic, but it's not whole. It's not healthy. It's not helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, okay. And, and mm-hmm. the other statement that you said in this segment, segment of the book that really got me, and I don't know that I can even unpack it well enough, so I'll take advantage of having you here now. She said, uh, when, and I, this may be my paraphrasing. So when you get the validation, so when you are not being authentic and you're just, mm-hmm externally trying to, you know, manage other people's emotions and deal with that and you get the validation and affirmation and acceptance by performing from these mm-hmm. folks. Now you don't trust yourself or, and this is what got me, or the person you're getting the validation from. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking, great, I just sabotaged both of us. I just screwed mm-hmm. me and I screwed you in the relationship mm-hmm. uh, because Say that in a way, because I—that's my—that was my notes of paraphrase, and I should have pulled out what you said. But in essence, if Mm -hmm. you're not being, you know, healthfully authentic to yourself, and you're just people pleasing and performing and trying to Mm -hmm. make people happy out here, you are sabotaging yourself. You're not being authentic to yourself, and now you don't trust them because their reaction to you, you know, is based on a lie. Mm -hmm. In in essence, Uh, Mm -hmm. that sucks. That's just <laughs> terrible. That's a really crappy. That's a. It felt like oh, that's that's really in. That's enlightening. Honestly, Vienna is what I right. thought. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think it. I think you did a great job uh, summarizing it in essence. Take a little bit further. It, that when you have to perform, please fake it in some way in order to get the love, the connection, the validation, the approval, and that you then get it your system still knows that it's not real, yes. right? Because you got what you wanted, sure, but you got it by being someone other than who you are.
0: That's harsh. Your system knows it's not real. I mean, ben, yeah, your that's, system
1: knows what's we, up.
0: We could spend the next mm-hmm. two hours talking about myself. This has been who I chose to be and I was in pretty much every relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think it's why I struggle with, the trust issues, uh, okay, I want to mm-hmm. give this whole uh, conversation uh, a, a not a caveat but a, a premise here because this is really i think it 's chapter two of the book mm-hmm. that you know you came to this book, you came to this topic, the origins of you, because your patients, like me, you know we come in, we got a problem, marriage is in trouble i 'm mm-hmm. feeling depressed i 'm whatever can you fix what 's happening right now, and we 're looking forward. And you, I think you shared in the book one patient like, "Oh, great, you're going to make me go back into the past, like all the therapists mm-hmm. do." And you're mm-hmm. like, "Yes." And, and mm-hmm. so if we if we come back to yes, you are you are behaving from the unresolution in your past, from mm-hmm. the operating system that you were given. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about my kids; they have Miller 1.0. Sorry, guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what they. Well, I mean, for better and worse. There's good and bad, mm-hmm. but they they've got that. And if you're going to fix what's happening now, it is a result of what you've been doing in the past. And again, I appreciate you saying, it's not to go vilify your parents mm-hmm. or your caregivers or whatever, not but at all. even if they were the best people on planet earth, they were limited, they were mm-hmm. ignorant, they were, uh, you know, they, they only knew what they Unresolved knew. Unresolved. Unresolved. Yeah, they, they couldn't yeah. be perfectly healthy. And you're mm-hmm. part of that. So... As we all look at the things that we're struggling with right now, you're saying, man, we, looking forward is, well, I guess you would say it's that's symptomatic. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, as I say, too, like, cool, look forward. Let's see, like, try it. You know, I don't, I don't mind trying it. Right. And I think that there are certain things that we might be able to change just like that because we decide to get really disciplined with something and we can make that behavioral change and beautiful. Okay. So if that's there, fine. We don't need to look back. Okay, but if you keep coming back, which uh, spoiler alert, a kind of thing that's all of us. Yeah, but all, yeah, yeah. I, that, I'll, I'll
0: vote. You got my test right. Yeah,
1: right. So I'm like, I'm fine for you to say, nope. I can make this change. All right, cool. Let's see. I'll see you back here in you know a few months, and we'll we'll dive in a little bit differently. And yeah, you're right. I, I speak to this in in that first story that I share outside of my own with Natasha. Um, She's like, I don't, I'm trying to decide whether I want to stay with my partner, Clyde. We're about to get engaged. You know, what, what should I, I just have this icky feeling that the other shoe is going to drop at some point. And I'm like, okay, well, great. Let's did the other shoe drop in past relationships in your family of origin. And exactly as you said, why do therapists always need to go back there? Like I'm focused on this. I, you're not going to find anything there. I had a perfect childhood, et cetera, et cetera. And then finally, right. There's this opening that happens. And she shares with me a story about when she was a teenager She had to use her dad's computer, and he had said yes, but there was an email open. Uh, And she stumbled upon an email thread between her father and a woman who wasn't her mother that was expressing all about love and how great the weekends were and can't wait to see you again and all of this. And it just shattered her image. He walks in on her. He sees her with tears in her eyes, says, I promise I'll cut it off, but please don't tell your mother. She never tells her mother. The way in which she copes with it is by going on and absorbing this betrayal and placing it somewhere inside of her, but far away because she's had to, she's had to deny it and she's had to hide it. And she's had to really forget it in order for the family system to go on as it was before. And so it actually makes quite a bit of sense why it was hard for her to even name that there was another shoe that had dropped in her family of origin. This was the first time that she had shared it with anybody was to me. And because you understood that it was almost gone from her because she had hidden it for so long, so well. But it cracked it open to see that that unresolved pain, right the fact that there was this betrayal, the fact that she had held her father on a pedestal, this man who would come home from work, have, have meals with his family, seemingly was happy, loved loved the family, all of this shattered her image of him was dictating this storyline that the other shoe was going to drop in all of her relationships. And the way that she dealt with it prior to this relationship was that she would prematurely exit those relationships. Maybe she'd sabotage something, but she'd find a way to exit and you know, cut the connection and the intimacy and all that until this. And so it required us to tend to the unresolved pain, the origin wound around trust for her so that she could actually get into that mature adult space to choose a path forward with him. And, you know, I, I think it's to the point that both of us are making is that there is stuff in our past and childhood. Okay. It could be four or five, six. It could be 14. It could be, you know, it's like it, it it can happen anywhere. And sometimes origin stories happened two weeks ago, right? It's possible.
0: I, I, I want to hit, I want to hit that Vienna, because something that I had never considered before reading your book was in that. And so in looking at kind of back to the wounds kind of thing mm-hmm. and looking at those origins, I think I was I tend to think of the ongoing things. So we're all looking back and going, okay, ongoing, day to day, week to week, month mm-hmm. to month, the years go by, you know, what were those things that happened and that programmed us and whatever. And then but you talked about um and and I didn't note where this was in the book, but in essence mm-hmm. how how profound firsts are mm-hmm. things that happen. And I thought, holy smokes, how often do we talk about that event that happened? It was the first day of school, mm-hmm. first day in a new school, the first day at college, first day at the job, first day going out to tr- to football tryouts. The first, those mm-hmm. first where we are in an emotionally sensitive place. We're probably got some fear, some insecurity. And then especially if something Well, you could probably say good or bad if you were dramatically Mm -hmm. applauded that it kind of set, holy smokes, this is everything. And maybe you went after Mm -hmm. something and that became your self-image and it shouldn't have. And that was, you know, on a seemingly good note or on the other side where it was tragic and Mm -hmm. it was just a moment. And mm-hmm. I think about some of those. Yeah. Then I've had some of those in my adulthood that were mm-hmm. first that were so significant. So again, yeah. going back and trying to connect with some of the wounds that caused us unresolution that then caused the patterns that they could mm-hmm. be, uh, it happened from one moment mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. programmed you. And yeah, as you said, it might've happened at five. It might've happened at yeah. 35. And I, I have not taken that into account. I, I literally, mm-hmm. it, it, I, I read that, I think it was yesterday, that section. Uh-huh. And I thought, dang, there's another audit I need to do. Let me go back and think about some of the firsts in my yeah. life. First child, first whatever, mm-hmm. and, and think about how, wh- mm-hmm. what's going on there? What do I have? Yeah, th-
1: those first, And then the first time that you didn't feel good enough, the first time yeah. you didn't feel like you belonged, right? You share a story um, of a, a client of mine where he he had shared that at some point in middle school the girl he liked um he had heard that she said that she would have she would have liked him if he were taller
0: oh
1: that's it wow. period and that 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 alone right was dictating his sense of worthiness he'd go on to be someone who needed to become friends with women before he would date them so that there was more like, um, investment because otherwise his height huh. didn't feel, you know, was, was so significant in his mind. Right. So that like, if we're more invested, then maybe you will overlook this, huh. Right, And it traces, right? It's like, here's this like, kind of throwaway comment in middle school. Um, but no, no, it's actually not, right? Because here's this thing that pierces us in a particular way, and then somehow comes along with us in ways that maybe we're not even aware of, like, oh, yeah, like, we're calling that thing, you know, it's like, if we're not to your point, taking those audits enough to be like, hang on, you know, like, what put my worth into question? You know, how was I valuable to the people around me, right? Was I valuable when I was the comic relief? Was I valuable when I was helping mom when she was sad, right? Was I valuable when I was a phenomenal athlete and that's what made mom happy? You know, it's like to really look closely at those things that maybe we haven't looked at.
0: You're, okay, you just said the, the word worth and literally part mm. two of your book starts off with that. And I was very impacted by some of the questions that you put in the book. Mm. That was one of them in the aspect of self-worth, which has been somewhat of a thread here on the shows as of late talking about that. And it has for me personally, which is why it is on the show because I get to talk about what I want um, <laughs> and uh, or what I need, I should say. And and that aspect of worth, the question that you had, I think you had a patient setting or something like that, a group setting, or, or maybe it was what you were asking individual patients to finish the sentence, I'm unworthy because and just sit and they and, the, and you had people shouting out stuff, and it's all these insecurities that I have not met a human yet who does not have an insecurity and really who does not have one that you can kind of see. We can all see each other. So that'd be a great one to ask our friends to fill That Hey, I should ask my buddies, you know, Hey Randy. So finish the sentence as of me, uh, Kevin's unworthy because, and say what you, what you would, he would give a list. My wife would give a list. My, some of my kids would probably give a list and they see my insecurities. We think we're hiding them, which is part of your, actually that I think that's before part two in your book. And you have a list of the ways that we conceal and then the cost of concealing and again i'm that's why you're on the show. we're talking about it, but I got some work to do to dig into those mm-hmm. and how we're concealing and the cost of concealing and and I was thinking that people see my, my people who know me, they know how what I'm doing. they know my insecurities, they know how I'm concealing it. I'm not fooling anybody but myself, and so to answer that question, I'm unworthy because feels well life changing, which I guess is what mm-hmm. you see with your patients mm-hmm.
1: yeah, yeah do you do you know how you'd answer it?
0: I'm unworthy, um, because it would feed into perfection. I try Mm -hmm. to earn my worth by the things that I do. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I'm unworthy because, well, what I've, what I know to say now, I wouldn't have in the past Mm -hmm. is I naturally, okay. This is, so this is just my admission. I'm unworthy because I'm not limitless, um, Mm -hmm. because sometimes Mm -hmm. there are relevant, excuses, um, mm. I, and I, which I don't even like the word. I mean, it's a counseling session here. You can, uh, yeah, you can invoice No, thank, uh, yeah,
1: no, no. Thank it, you for letting me flip the script for a second. Cause I think it's, you know, it is a powerful, and I think for the high achievers and the perfectionists and, and, and those who, you know, maybe have found a way to, you know, accomplish,
0: yeah, quite a bit in their lives. I, and... I'm, I'm unworthy because I haven't, even though I spent probably longer preparing for this interview with you than most anybody that you're going to talk with, um, which I think is why people listen to the show, but I still show up and kind of feel like an imposter. Even mm-hmm. though I know we're going to turn the thing on and we're going to do a mm-hmm. show and I, we're going to do a great show and you know, hundreds of thousands of people mm-hmm. are going to listen to it, um, I still show up feeling like I haven't done enough. Cause that's part of my, it mm. was part of my life as a pro cyclist. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I, I haven't done as much as the other. I'm not prepared enough. So I'm mm-hmm. to have to suffer more. So yeah, again, mm. back into the, Ooh, yeah, there it is. Like oh, I, it's so good. I, it, well, yeah. it is. It's, it can to be acknowledge good.
1: it. Yeah. To acknowledge it that way.
0: Yeah. And I, uh, yeah. And, and then it's doing the work of it. And then, which is, uh, I mean, gosh, isn't that the, the title of uh, I think one of the ending points of your book, well, I have to mm. pull the, pull the uh, mm-hmm. contents up here is then, and that's where I was, I was actually reading this morning is how to take all this and make it stick. Your reclamation is what you titled. Mm-hmm. The last part of it is making it mm-hmm. stick. Uh, Vienna, I do want to hit a, a big thing. So I come from a, I'm going to say a heavily religious background. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to, but I think this is something that has infiltrated our entire culture, at least in America, and, and I think beyond that. And I'm actually going to pull out a scripture because it's so invasive, which sounds like a bad, a bad term, but it's, it's in Matthew. So in the Bible, book of Matthew 22, 37 through 40, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I grew up. With that Mm -hmm. statement. And it wasn't just like preached from my parents or whatever, but that was the context of the South, the Bible Belt, the church, Mm -hmm. the Christianity that I grew up in. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Vienna, nobody ever Mm -hmm. talked about how you love yourself, Mm -hmm. didn't exist. And so I, I think the whole effort was a performance for most mm-hmm. for me for most of us it's a performance to go out love others as i love myself i don't love myself i have no idea how. i don't even know who the hell i am mm-hmm. and i'm supposed to go love so i'm just i'm trying i'm pouring out of a broken cracked cup here mm-hmm. and that i mean we are a nation that's you know founded on a lot of that religion and i'm sure i'm not pointing anything at the religion I'm, that's a great That's a great uh, line that we don't know how to translate, it feels like. And it feels like that's at the crux here.
1: Yeah. I mean, when you read it, the first thing I thought was, well, if you hate yourself, then you're going to hate others. Right. And, you know, yeah, to your point, like, what does it look like to love and accept ourselves? Right. To actually know how to be with ourselves. Right. I love, but the notion is so powerful to, I kind of hear it as, um, and probably unsurprisingly, right? I, I, it's like I, I, to see ourselves, to remember to see others, you know, in the way in which we are seeing ourselves, which kind of points to one of the parts at the end of the book where I share an exercise from Michael Kerr, um, who's a psychotherapist, and researcher, author. And, uh, he says to try this, to think of your mother as your grandmother's daughter, and see what changes right to see how that perspective shifts and so when you say to love yourself to love thy neighbor in the way that you love yourself right it's like that that lens of we all are we're tiny little humans in flawed and imperfect systems and if you can remember that about your neighbor you know what shifts if you can remember that about yourself what shifts If you can remember that about the people you care about what shifts and um but to your point right, this concept of what, you know, what is self-love? It's like, I, I think self-love is the intersection of compassion and grace for the self meaning like the human experience that we are flawed and imperfect with accountability and ownership.
0: Compassion and grace with accountability and ownership. It reminds me of Tom Ziegler who often co-hosts with me, his statement of having the highest standards and the deepest grace for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, that's
1: right. That's right. We must, right? Because one without the other is, you know, it, it, it doesn't work that way, right? To, to love ourselves well means that we can hold the grace and compassion for ourselves that's needed for every human on this planet, while also making sure that accountability and ownership are intersecting with that because we can't just be like, oh, I'm a human, sorry, right? And we can't just be like, oh, I'm the work," you know, and I have to be accountable and da da and, and never offer ourselves the space to be seen as this imperfect, flawed human existing in these systems. And I think when we get pretty good at those pieces intersecting, that's where, you know, love for the self can happen, because I think love gets generated from seeing ourselves do things differently and operate in our, in the world and in relationships in a way in which we can hold our head up high. And that doesn't mean that we don't have history and stories where maybe we hang our heads. Of course we do, right? There's things we look back and you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I did that. Or I said that I was so yes. immature. You know, my insecurity was in the dryer seat. That's every single person's story. Of course it is. right? But to be able to pick that head up, Right? To hold it up, to believe, and to exist in the world where you're like, I'm proud of myself. Right? Like, I'll make mistakes. I'll continue to make mistakes, but I will look at those mistakes. I'll find a way to own them. It might take me a couple weeks, a couple days, maybe a couple months, right? for some, maybe years. Right? But like, I am on. I'm committed to that, and that I think is where love for the self can bud.
0: I've got other questions and they're going to be a great fit in part two. We talked, I, I, I just brought us into some spiritual aspects. I've got a parenting question for you, but it's going to be a great fit for, uh, for part two. Yeah. It's, it's um, this is a, this is a top shelf book for me. I'm eager to, I'm grateful that I got to dig into it now for us to talk through it. And now I'm eager to dig in. Um, Cause I've got some pieces that I want to understand more that I didn't, I wasn't aware of. Uh, So thank you. Thank you for what you've done for doing the work to bring this book to light and this message out. I'm um, a grateful recipient and I'm really proud to bring this to the audience. Thank you. All right, friends, I'd say we have some discovery to do. And I'll tell you, if Vienna's book is worth the purchase solely for the questions you'll find on page 35 to audit your background of attachment in your upbringing. It's just profound. I'm working through it right now. Again, the book is called The Origins of You, How Breaking Family Patterns Can Liberate the Way We Live and Love. And you can find Vienna at ViennaFerrin.com V-I-E-N-N-A P-H-A-R-A-O-N.com Thank you so much for tuning into this self-helpful podcast where I strive to help you and me elevate our personal experience of life and the way we show up for others. Stay driven, my friends.